Recovery Elevator, episode 141. Don't try to think ahead too far and don't think about what you did in the past. Just, you know, what, what you damaged in the past, just, just start with today. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator, a sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 1,140 days. On today's podcast, we've got Aaron. He's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He talks about his one-month marriage. He also talks about his mini pincher named Packer. And he says, this time around, it's different and something just clicked. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to cover that awful feeling in your gut called anxiety. More specifically, the anxiety you get after drinking. I don't know about you, but for me, after heavy bouts of drinking, especially in 2012, 13, and 14, I was just crippled with anxiety. It was there for three, four, five days, even a week. And that's a big reason why you hear the vicious cycle of addiction, the downward spiral, is because I was drinking to treat the anxiety and I could really only handle like three to four to five days of it before I would take a drink knowing there was a quick, you know, not a long reprieve, but at least a minimal reprieve with the alcohol. So I want to cover what it is, why it happens, and how we can eliminate it. But first, I want to share some other people's experiences with this anxiety, shall we call it. So I was cruising around forums the other day looking for a girlfriend, and I'm just kidding. I do that in PetSmart. Just kidding as well. So I'm in these forums looking for information about anxiety, and I'm reading these postings by guests, and I'm going to share a couple of them with you. So here's the first one. This one's from John. Sometimes I can binge drink and be fine. When I slip up and binge drink more than 10 beers per occasion, I wake up with severe anxiety and panic attacks that can last up to seven days before I feel normal again. I feel suicidal at times during this time. The morning after this binge drinking, I usually feel like I want to jump out of my skin and repeat purge to try to make myself feel better. I keep crying and crying uncontrollably. I also take Ativan to try and make myself sleep in hopes that it will go away. My friends seem hardly to get hung over while I'm unable to function properly for a week. I enjoy drinking and try to limit myself. Most of the times I enjoy drinking, that is. I tend to drink probably once every two months. I just wanted to find out why this happens to me. I feel as if I have some kind of severe underlying mental problem. What should I do if this happens again? Thanks for sharing, John. Now let's hear from Tony. Hey, I experience the same thing as John. Binge drinking gives me severe anxiety and all the nasty feelings and thoughts associated with it. I sometimes wonder, too, whether it's some underlying disorder, especially in the few days after a binge. I think we are fine, though. It's not us. It's the binging. It affects some more harshly than others. From my research, I can tell you that alcohol suppresses the nervous system. It is a depressant. 
If we depress the nerves for long periods through binge drinking, our body reacts once the alcohol is gone by releasing adrenaline to compensate. This gives us severe anxiety in return, which is totally unbearable and creates a fear that grabs you right in the chest. I hate it. I'll be honest, I've just been on a major binge with my mates and I have spent the last few days searching the net trying to explain why I feel like I do. I also believe the fact that I know that binging is wrong and not healthy, which feeds my anxiety. Thanks for the share, Tony. So now let's hear from Jay. Hey guys, I also can relate to John and Tony. So I am in the middle of the exact same problem, but maybe worse. I'm 25 years old, was a heavy drinker for years, then slowed down to only weekends, but binge drinking on those weekends, I mean probably 20 drinks a night. Anyways, I stop drinking for a month and then I go to Vegas, drink nonstop for four days, and drink about 20 energy drinks while I'm in Vegas, and I probably drink about 40 drinks overall in a 24-hour span. Well, guess what? The next morning, I wake up hungover as hell, sick as hell, puking in the usual, but then all of a sudden I get depressed and super anxious. I felt like I was losing my mind. I couldn't sleep. I felt like I was going crazy. I missed my flight, had to stay in Vegas an extra two days. Then I go to the airport the next day and I'm still anxious. This is day three. I don't know if this anxiety is coming from severe dehydration that the alcohol makes me feel. I have no idea, but I can't stand this anxiety. Thank you for the share, Jay. Now we can see some common threads already emerging that after binges, after long periods of drinking, there's some severe anxiety that's taking place. So if you experience this, there is comfort in knowing that you're not alone. Okay, this is the next post that I read. This one's from a guest poster. Yes, I can relate to the other posts as well. I even went to the doctor to talk to him about my extreme anxiety after drinking and he put me on a med called Alexa. Also, he gave me Ativan to take as needed. I mostly just take the Ativan after long episodes of drinking. Ativan helps calm me down and helps me sleep. The Alexa I take daily to help me enjoy life more so I don't need to binge drink at night. Thanks for your posts, everybody. This next post is from Michelle. I'm going through some severe anxiety at the moment, and I'm seriously hoping it is because of my binge drinking a couple of nights ago. For me, the anxiety gets so bad that I never want to have a drink again. I always seem to tell myself that I won't ever drink again and that I should go to AA, but don't seem to follow through. I gave up drinking for about two years, ages 26 to 28, but then fell off the wagon. Anyway, I feel the same discomfort that has been described here, which I hope is comforting to someone. I take lorazepam to calm myself down. Before reading the next post, which is my favorite post, I want to shed some light on something we alcoholics are good at doing. We're good at solving one problem and creating another problem. You've already heard in three of these posts that the anxiety was so bad we went to a physician and now we take benzodiazepines. That would be the Ativan, Lorazepam, the Xanax, etc. Those are also extremely addictive medications and in my opinion it's alcohol in a pill format. Another person went on Celexa and I can speak from firsthand experience. I've done the same thing. I've been on antidepressants, I've been prescribed benzodiazepines because the anxiety was so bad due to the drinking. But that was a time in my journey when I wasn't fully ready to admit to myself and be honest to myself that alcohol was a problem. Okay, so let's get to this next post, which is my favorite. This one's from Nick. Dude, everybody, it's called alcoholism. I've been struggling with it for nine years. My binges last over a week now, and I just drink vodka and don't eat a thing. When I finally do come off the binge, I withdraw big time and have seizures at times. The anxiety is what kills me most, though. It only gets worse. I would suggest doing whatever a person do to not drink ever again. I can tell by some of the posts on here that they are heading down the same path I have been. 
it started the same way. Just the horrible anxiety after a binge. Trust me, though, it gets worse, and it will kill you in a horrible way if you don't stop drinking completely. Boom. Thank you, Nick. There's one word that can describe this. It's alcoholism. Now, alcoholism has a broad umbrella. It describes physical, mental, and spiritual symptoms, but this one is describing the physical symptoms. And Nick, you hit it spot on in my opinion. This is alcoholism. This is what it looks like. This is what it physically feels like. Sure, it's anxiety. And anxiety disorder has been proven that it can be created through alcohol consumption. And I know that firsthand. In my early 20s, I didn't really struggle with anxiety. Now, I don't really struggle with anxiety. I do at times. But I do think there was some irreversible damage that took place to myself due to my heavy binge drinking and just all the poison that I consumed. Long-term effects of alcohol abuse can actually change the brain activity. Long-term heavy drinkers may be predisposed to develop an anxiety disorder. Now, I will not state that we alcoholics develop a chemical imbalance. According to the author Robert Whitaker in a book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, there has been no such discovery of a chemical imbalance in any brain whatsoever. But somehow, we develop an anxiety disorder if we continue to drink in that fashion. But it has been proved that alcohol changes levels of serotonin and other neurotransmitters in the brain, which can worsen anxiety. Alcohol-induced anxiety can last for several hours or even for several days after binge drinking. So alcohol also increases the effects of gamma-aminobutric acid, that is called GABA, in the brain, which typically has a calming influence on the body. People who experience consistent anxiety after drinking could relate it to how their body is reacting to the change of GABA and dopamine in the brain during recovery. So sure, there is an answer to why we're feeling this way, and it has to do with the neurotransmitters levels of serotonin and the levels of GABA and dopamine in the brain going completely haywire after binge drinking or just after drinking in general. And a lot of us, binge drinking by definition, we've been doing it for decades straight. So you might hear this information, run to the store and get supplements of GABA, L-theanine, to calm the brain. But my recommendation, just like Nick said, you got to quit drinking once and for all. Okay, enough out of me. Let's hear from Aaron. Aaron, how are you? Good. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Aaron, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? 16 days today. 16 days. Congratulations. That's a huge building a block of time it's a build off of nice job Aaron thank you yeah it's, it's a work in progress but I'm really really a motivated time yeah <laughs> work in progress to say the least that's exactly how it is for me with over three years of sobriety exactly how it was when I was there um, but it's it's a beautiful journey. It gets so much better, and I'm excited for you. Now, Aaron, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun, Aaron? Okay, I'm 38. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I work at a print shop. I do the, the graphics and a lot of the other hands-on stuff with the printing. I am separated. <laughs> That's another part of the story I guess we'll cover that um, a bit yeah and, we will <laughs> yeah I like to, what do I like to do for fun I used to like to fish I'm getting I'm going to get back into that because I'm only like 16 days sober and so I like uh, stand-up comedy I like uh, just to go out and like 
check out the uh, festivals and stuff that do come at roll through town and just basically being out in nature. Uh, I have a hybrid bike. I like to go out and ride. And I got a dog I like to take out. He's a little mini- miniature pincher. Yeah, what's his name? I know you have a standard poodle. Yeah. <laughs> what's your pincher's name? Yeah, Packer. Packer? That's awesome. Yeah, we yeah we we got him from somebody that I guess was Green Bay Packer fan or something, and we just kept the name. So his name's Packer. Cool. He's just you know got a lot of energy. <laughs> and Aaron, I'm, I'm going to repeat what you how you answered one of the questions. You said, "What do I like to do for fun?" I almost like the question was rhetorical, and you're asking yourself that out loud, and you said, "Well, I." I liked to fly fish, but that's an honest and genuine yeah. answer, right? You're like, oh, 16 days of sobriety, love to fix cars, fly fish, go to, you know, overnight yeah. music festivals. No, like you're you're still figuring it out. Yeah. And when I was at 16 days of sobriety, I asked myself that same question, but the answer was I knew I liked to be outside, and I did the same hike the first month of sobriety until the snow came up Spanish Creek. I did the hike over and over and over, and eventually that's where I discovered my higher power, which is the wind in the trees. But at 16 days, when I was there, I had no idea what the F I liked to do. I knew I liked to play with model trains when I was 12 years old, but I still had to figure that out, and I'm still figuring it out, but that's the joy of it. I get to try out all these cool new hobbies, and I'm excited for you to do the same. And before I hit the record button, you said something cool. You said something clicked. It was different this time. Again, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We'll go way back, but just answer that question. How is it different this time? And explain that feeling when you say that something clicked. Well, it had to do with two things. Uh, my body was kind of telling me, you know, with the anxiety and, and the insomnia. and uh, but, but also it was like my mind, I was just, it wasn't fun anymore. I was at, you know, I was drinking, I had to get up, you know, I was drinking, you know, miniatures at, you know, here at work and, and, you know, trying to, you know, just, you know, just trying to hide, hide all the time and, I, and, I, and trying to uh, scrounge up money and change and stuff to just get, get a drink for the day, you know, and just, just that was just getting tired, you know. Tired of being tired, like they say, man. It's just, you know, I'm 38 years old, and the party is was is just over already. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. It just, just, it, this, this time was different than all the other times. I kept, you know, kept telling myself, you know, I need to, you know, I was beating myself up, and then, you know, after hearing your podcast and stuff, and you saying, you know, don't beat yourself up, and, you know, it, it kind of like, you know, it made me kind of really reevaluate how you know, how I think about myself and stuff. And um, so now it's just a whole different mentality. And I've been, you know, just soaking up the information right now and just kind of just really energized and positive about it. So I think just, it was just kind of maybe a, a higher power of something, you know, not really religious, but I'm guessing there's something, something that clicked in me. <laughs> yeah. Like and it, and you, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. You don't have to be religious to get this mm-hmm. thing, but it's cool that you said, you're a sponge. You're soaking everything up. And most importantly, there was a shift in the mentality. There is something that I've witnessed with everybody who's successfully been sober is they have had a shift in mentality. Most importantly, that drinking is an opportunity and not a sacrifice. There's a lot of really cool things you said right there, which which tells me I'm excited for the future, for for what's in store in your future, Aaron. It's going to be great. But let's back it up a little bit. You're 38 okay. years young. And I say 38 years young. Because you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. The average person AA, when they first go into those doors, is 47 years old. You and me both, we're way ahead of the curve. You're nipping this thing in the butt in your 30s and not your 50s, 60s, and 70s. And a lot of people, they never nip it in the butt. So good on you for that. But when did you first realize that perhaps you didn't drink normally? Man, probably probably in my 20s. 
I started drinking when I was in high school. My mom threw me a party with the graduation party with the keg, you know. And I have a twin brother, so we an identical twin brother, so we uh, we kind of just hung around with the same people, the same crowd, and uh, we hung out with the little older people. And uh, so we we always had alcohol around, so we just started drinking. And and then uh, through college, you know, everyone was was partying and drinking, and so I got through that. I got it. I moved. I started working uh, doing cable and phone work, and and it takes you out of town. So uh, I was in Virginia, and I was in Texas, and I was in California, working out of town. And when you're out of town, you you know you you're working with a couple guys out there, and you don't know anybody. So everybody's just drinking in the motel rooms and just going to work. And I did that for a long time. And then you know I went to college for for the, for graphics and stuff. And when I got out of college, I I went and started doing the cable stuff because you can make good money doing that. And then uh, I went out, actually when Hurricane Ike hit um, Galveston and we did work with FEMA to uh, restore uh, power or uh, phone, I mean, out there and stuff. So I got tired of being out of town, so I moved back to Albuquerque and then I started working in, in the printing trade. And with printers, it's kind of a notorious thing too. Every, I just like a social thing. Everywhere I've worked and where I've been, man, it's just alcohol's been pushed around, and it's just been kind of a, you know, a, a way of growing up. So I just been, you know, drinking, and then in my 30s, it just was like, oh man, I can, I, I'm drinking and I'm drinking and, and stuff like that, and it just, you know, I was, I was drinking all the time and drinking and driving all the time too. So I guess my 30s, I just kind of really got it, like early 30s. And then I started dabbling with the, the opiates and um, painkillers for a high, and then I got addicted to those, and then and got on the methadone with the alcohol and everything. So and, and I saw I was battling two, I guess demons you could say during that time, and, and that's how I just progressed. It just wasn't, and I did wasn't drinking like because of a, like childhood trauma or anything. I mean, I I didn't have a dad uh, growing up, but that didn't really. I had a lot of uncles and, and stuff, and and other figures kind of I guess you could say like um, you know my mom had different uh, long-term relationship boyfriends and stuff and they were all good guys and stuff and so I really didn't have a reason to like just you know to blame it on anything like that it just was my grandpa died of alcoholism and my other two uncles had died of so maybe a genetic thing I'm not sure you know um, but um I just was able to drink and function you know I still you know I was drinking up until 16 days ago and you know and every day, <laughs> you know, going and getting, you know, miniatures and just got, got, got crazy. And <laughs> so, yeah, that's basically it in a, in a nutshell. Aaron, I know when you say go and get a miniature, you're not getting a, a brother for Packer, another mini pincher, but I thought I knew all the street lingo and terms, but what is a miniature? Oh, like those little, the little shooters of, of, the, of like alcohol, you know, like the dollar, uh, you know, the 99 peaches or that's what I used to get or the, um, like the fireball, like the little, um, are those like things that you serve on the airlines? Like those mini bottles of vodka and things like that? Like, a, like if you go to like, uh, oh, if you have circle K's, uh, like you, you go to the gas station and they have those little, like, they're just like one shot of alcohol. Gotcha. They're not, they're smaller than a half pint, but they're, um, so I would, you know, they'd have them two for two or <laughs> over here or, you know, or mostly blood, blood ice is what I would drink because it was cheap, you know, sure. two, it was like two seventy nine for 40. That was, but I would have, you know, I'd be waking up, you know, every morning with the, with the shakes and the anxiety and run right to the gas station and get my drink before I even got to work. Mm-hmm. I'd be drinking them on my way to work, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
and taking a beer break at noon, you know, and if something happened that and got me kind of pissed off, I would, you know, I would clock to my car and drink whatever I had in my car and then walk back in here into the shop, you know, you know, but I was like thinking like it was another problem. And, you know, it, it, that's, that's, that's a real big red flag, you know, you can't even, this is getting out of hand where you're drinking all day from you know, morning to night. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and normal yeah. people, they don't do that. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I, I try yeah. to ignore that fact that, okay, people aren't waking up at 6 a.m., putting on their slippers, going to the store across the street, making up a story like, oh, I just got off work, buying a box of wine and two beers, chugging that before going back to bed. This when I lived in Spain. Yeah, it's like normal people don't do the stuff that you and I did, Aaron. And yeah. you, you mentioned you have multiple DUIs, and – I don't know when yeah. they happened, but I'm guessing they didn't happen. The multiples didn't happen at age 36, 37, and 38. Um, because I know for myself, the writing was on the wall long before I took this journey into sobriety. Uh, like a week after I graduated college in December, in four and a half years, I got, a, I got a DUI that eventually was taken off my record. I got out of it. But, I mean, that was well before. And then I got another one. You know, I, there was many – the things were, the writing was on the wall. But, and so when, when did you get your DUIs? Well, I, when I was working out in Virginia, I got a I got arrested for DUI and I blew a .24. When they 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 did something, I guess they didn't feel they took me to the hospital to get like to draw blood to get like another to get an alcohol test or they gave me like a breathalyzer <laughs> but they wanted to draw blood. Somehow they messed it up. So yeah. court, they got dropped to um, careless driving instead. So that was my first. Well, that was like a, a oh man, I got looked out on that one, you know. Yeah, dude, then the, a point two four. The, that's, that's not chump change, man. They're probably like, no way, is this yeah. guy point two four. He's not slurring. He's driving fine. We need to do the blood draw to confirm this, man. Yeah, yeah, I lucked out. Yeah. So and so my my actual real uh, the real one the, the one that stuck was, uh, was when I was in San Diego. I was at Mission Beach in San Diego, and I got a and I ran. I don't know how. I don't know what happened. But I started drinking Don Julio with some people taking shots. Hey, what what are and, the ages? Uh, how old are you when you're Virginia? And how old were you in San Diego? Okay, in Virginia, I was in my twenties, probably. Yeah, and most most times I was in my twenties. So I was already backing up. So it was probably like well, I was about twenty three, twenty four when I was in Virginia, and then probably like twenty six or twenty seven when I was in San Diego. Gotcha. So I got arrested for DUI over there, and what happened was I, I guess I had passed out in my truck, but I had I got to the a motel room, and I had tapped, there was like a shuttle, hotel shuttle van, and I had tapped it. Like uh, I guess I had, didn't really crash into it, but I hit the bumper, and I, I kind of had blacked out at that point, and, and then I got, so I got arrested. So I was in the San Diego for three days in jail there, and then I had to get my truck out and stuff, and then that's when I moved back to Albuquerque after that incident. Just kind of fled. I just fled California. Didn't even go to court. Just, just like, just took off. And, and you know, and, you know, after that, got my truck out of impound. You know, I had a little bit of money on me at the time. So I just left California without even dealing with the consequence. So then I came back to Albuquerque. And in 2007, when I was doing a karaoke gig, I was drinking. The bartender was giving me a lot of free booze on the side, I guess you could say. And so, uh, uh, we had closed up the bar, and I left, and I got really messed up. And at that time, I had a, a day job also, and I was in my work vehicle. <laughs> and uh, there was, uh, and where I was doing the gig was like down, was like kind of by downtown, and there was like a, a bunch of one ways. And apparently, I guess I had, was going down the wrong way, man. And uh, so a cop pulled me over and 
threw me into it. That was, so that was my first DUI in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, or, so I was basically my second DUI, but my first DUI in New Mexico. And that's when I really had to see that they kind of threw the hammer down. They, they're getting really tough on DUIs over here in, here in New Mexico. So, so I had to get the, you know, the breathalyzer and all that stuff. And it still wasn't a, you know, after those three times, I still didn't, I was drinking and driving up, you know, a month ago to, you know, you know, I mean, it was driving. I wasn't, you know, I don't know how many times, but I'm not bragging about it. I actually, I could kill somebody, you know? And yeah. so I'm just kind of saying, you know, like, man, it's, that's just how looking back at it, even just at 16 days sober, man, that that's just crazy, man. You know, every day, you know, driving with alcohol in my breath, you know, I was driving is still drunk driving, you know? You know, in my 30s, I guess I progressed to the point where I was a capable drunk of driving, driving pretty buzzed, all heavily buzzed all the time, and not not swerving and getting pulled over. I guess I kind of got a handle on that. Well, Aaron, there's two conclusions that I want to draw, which is very similar to my story as well. And number one is usually the writing is on the wall long before we even realize it. But if we were to sit down with a marker and a giant graph and just start writing stuff down, you you know take three, four feet back, look at it, like, holy shit, the writing is on the wall long before we take that journey into sobriety. And another thing is it just shows you the insanity of, of alcoholism and how dangerous this drug can be because when I got my first DUI, which should have been my fourth, let's just call it for what it is, I welcomed it. I was like, finally, I, I you know this pain is so acute. This freaking sucks. I'm never going to drink and drive again. But three weeks later, I was drinking and driving with a broken taillight. You know, and I knew the consequences. I wasn't going to get a slap on the wrist. Hey, Paul, you pulled over three weeks ago for this. Like, we'll, we'll let you go this time. Like, that wasn't going to happen. And so, yeah, like, I know you're not bragging about it, and you know, I'm not judging you for it. It's just, it's just how it goes, and that's just why alcohol effing sucks. And also, I want to I wanna cover the opioid thing because we alcoholics were really good at solving one problem, and creating another problem. I had a good friend in Colorado who was worried about his drinking, and he switched from alcohol to pills. And he was sober from alcohol for a while, but then guess what? He got hooked to the pills, and then he started drinking again, and then the shitstorm ensued. This story does have a happy ending. He's been sober for almost 10 months. But talk to us about that, 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 that experience for you with opioids. Well, you know, I started off with pills. It was like the hydrocodones and stuff, and I was messing with those just to get a high. You know, I would be drinking and then take take some of those and just, oh, man, this feels good. So we would just be, you know, getting pills like that. And then and then I started doing, you know, the harder ones like oxy and oxycodone and oxycontins and, and uh, morphines and stuff. Started doing them more on a daily, daily basis. So I guess for, for a few years, I was doing that. And then it was just hard to, to get, get them on a steady basis, you know. So I I was getting, I was going through withdrawals, and it was just like, oh, man, and, and I was drinking, but then it was still crazy. So I, I ended up going to a clinic because I had a friend that told me, well, you can come to this clinic, and you just pay money, and they'll give you give you something for that. And so I went over there, and, and they gave me, put me on methadone, and so I started doing methadone, and I was doing methadone for like six months. And methadone is another opiate. I know it's it's a strategy used to yeah. come off opioid addiction, but it's an opioid as itself, and coming off methadone itself is extremely brutal, which you experienced. Yes, it is. It's actually actually the methadone withdrawals were worse than the pill drug. Oh, that backfired. Now now looking looking back on it, you know, because it it was a liquid form, and you know, it's kind of funny. It constipates you, I guess, when you're first getting used to it because your body's metabolizing it. It was just crazy, man. You have to take spill softeners. It was just for the first couple of weeks just to get used to it, and then you get used to it. And 
but it gets into your bones and your everything after like six, you know, and so like when it, it just takes forever for it to come out of your body after, after you stop taking it, you know, and that's what makes it so brutal of, of a withdrawal and, come, and to get to detox, man. I've never done heroin, but it's got to be pretty, pretty crazy just like that, you know. At that time, I was going through a, I have a, a four-year-old son now, but at the time, he was just, he was a baby and stuff, and uh, I was coming off, and that was what, I was trying to get off the methadone, too. Man, I can't do this. I try to be a father and everything. Yeah, you want to be you know? dad, be there for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but coming off of that, it, it tore apart my relationship with the baby's mama, you know, because I just really selfish and really just worried about my own addictions, you know. Yeah, and in so, the email you, yeah. you mentioned you were married for a month. Is that the relationship that yeah. lasted a month? No, that that well, this that was actually more recent. When I was younger in college, I, I had uh, met someone and we started dating for six months, and then we we uh, broke up and lost contact, and then we kind of reconnected like ten years later, you know, like on Facebook, you know, just kind of, and then so we started you know dating again. It kind of left off where we were, you know, and but. She was a, she had addictions to alcohol also, and then I did. So when we got together, it was like the perfect storm. So for like three or four months, we were just it was just crazy, man. And then I don't know what the idea of uh, us getting married came from. I don't know what you know, just a drunken. We were both drunk when we got married, <laughs> and then so we got married, and we ended instead of getting putting rings on, we got tattoos on our finger of our initials on our. You know, it was just, it, it was everything awesome. we did, every, everything about, <laughs> everything about that thing was so uh, toxic, man. It was crazy. And finally, I had to just separate myself from her after a month because it was just, you know, she, there was no trust. She was, uh, you know, I couldn't trust her. I mean, she was, I think she was cheating and I was, it was just not the right thing, man. And that was at the time when I was still, um, you know, going through the custody stuff with my my son with a baby mama, you know, and my wife at the time was wasn't making things good. She was, you know, causing more friction between that. And I was like, so I just kind of just left that situation. But yeah, it was a month. It was a month long of marriage, man. And I, I it's and it's, I ended up getting a tattoo to cover that tattoo, which I got like a hole <laughs> over that finger, you know. <laughs> but uh, and I haven't got divorced yet. I'm still I'm just separate. I, you know, I don't even want to talk to her. You know? But it's just yeah, it's kind of. Kind of crazy. Yeah, Aaron, that so, that time to finalize a divorce will come. It doesn't have to yeah. be today or tomorrow. But let's fast forward a bit. Let's talk about the solution and how you did this. 16 days ago, it sounds like you were just sick and tired of being sick and tired, which is a common theme on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I understand that fully. What happened and how did you do it? I got on my phone and I started downloading. I, I've been listening to a podcast for a while. I, I got really interested in podcasts because my brother, um, like, he kind of got me into that. So I, I started listening to podcasts, and I started downloading uh, your podcast and the Share podcast and just even other ones like Zig Ziglar. Yeah. I listened to that pod, that uh, the Ziglar podcast, and I listened to, uh, I think it's a Feed Your, uh, the one you feed, is, and TED Talks and stuff. I was just really trying to find out what this was and why I why I couldn't stop. Like, just, just like your story, you know, like, and after hearing, you know, just hearing everybody's story and your story and everything, it just kind of like, man, I like it just like jumped into it, like with both feet, like looking for, you know, changing my routines. You know, I stopped doing the things that, that kept triggering me. I just went through those first tough days of withdrawal, you know, withdrawal and just kept doing like self-talk positive stuff, you know, like every morning, you know, and, and, and just doing what everybody, what I kept 
what everyone was telling me on this podcast, I just took it and I just kept doing it. And, and, and that's, that's what got me really into it, you know, just rewiring my whole thought about this. You know, I, I used to beat myself up and now I'm just like, you know what, it's, it's a disease, man. It's, you're not a weak person. It's just a, it's just the way it is. You know, you've done it for so long, you, you know, you got to scared to change. And you finally had to just, finally had to just grow up, you know. And so that's basically what, it, what happened. Aaron, you said something that maybe listeners just went right over their heads and you said it quick, but it was a profound sentence that I want to comment on is you said you stopped doing things that, that triggered you. I think that's what you said, but, uh, that's huge because of what a lot of people do. I get emails all the time, Aaron, and you know, long emails, long emails, and I love reading them. I do, but it, it's, it's the definition of insanity in a lot of these emails where they're trying the same things over and over and expecting different results. But what you just said right there is the key, right? You know, it's one of these, there's a lot of keys to sobriety, but that's a big one right there. You got to stop doing those things that led you to the same, same conclusions before. And for me, a big trigger was that first drink. <laughs> and that might sound like a profound statement. Wow, Paul, that's, that's big. Your first, your trigger is a first drink. Yeah. Because once I had that first drink, then the second, third, fourth, and the 50th were right behind it. And at the end of the day, it boiled down to as long as I didn't have that first drink, everything was going to be Okay. But to avoid that first drink, I had to stop doing a lot of those things that led me to that first drink, which it sounds like you've done. The rewiring of the brain, number one, that happens physically, just whether you like it or not. If you abstain from alcohol long enough, your brain will rewire itself. Those pathways are always still going to be there, which explains why we pick up right where we left off. But it sounds like you've had a shift of thinking. Is, does that sound about right? Yes, exactly. I've had a, just a whole, yeah, shift of thinking, a whole way of, man, just being positive about things and yeah, exactly. That's how you said it, you know. And beating uh, yourself yeah, up, just, that's a big component. I haven't met anybody who's been successful in recovery who kicks their own ass like alcohol does. Um, that's been a big chapter in my recovery is throwing the self-loathing out the window because alcohol does a great job of kicking our own ass. And, you know, why am I drinking? So, oh, I'm such a weak person. No, we're flirting and doing the dance with one of the most, in my opinion, the most addictive drug on the face of the planet. And it's that simple sometimes. It's that simple. And Aaron, I mean, good on you for making that change. And you know, what have you learned most about yourself with 16 days? And I'm not going to discount 16 days. It's not a lot of sobriety. Yeah. But it's a lot at the same time. You know, what have you learned about yourself in these past 16 days? I learned that I, I'm a good person, man. I love myself now. I Before, it was just this, like this self-loathing, looking in the mirror. You, Sorry, SOB. You know, you, now it's like, oh, man, it's like, you know what? forgiveness give yourself you know a chance now i got i want to be around for my son you know i, I want to be want to be in this planet i want to be connected again to to people and everything because i for a long time i just walked around feeling like a kind of like a zombie or like a like a ghost and everyone, just kind of watching everything from from the, from the outside and looking in like almost like like it was a movie and i was just kind of not really part of it now i'm just wanting to get connected and and be you know, be around and be a, be present in this world, man. And and for a long time, I just just I just wasn't. I was just tuned out, man. I was just just going with the flow. I was kind of just you know, I was going to work still. I was doing all that stuff, but I wasn't happy. Now I'm like I'm reconnecting, getting my attitude adjusted again, and just just being positive and, and soaking up all the the good um, cliches, I guess you could say, the good advice, you know, that I keep seeing on daily posts from people just waking up every morning and doing what I like what I call a perfect start you know just 
doing doing things that that are positive right away to get your mindset in a positive way. And with and with so. 16 days of sobriety, I'm pretty sure you've had some cravings. You've gotten past them, yeah. obviously, to make it this far. Mm-hmm. What do you do when cravings come? Well, I know that they they only last a certain amount of time now, so I, I get through them. I did have some naltrexin, so I did take some naltrexin for the for the first few days, and that helped a lot with 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 the cravings as far as like the initial ones. Just I basically just had to kind of use a little bit of willpower when I got some of the, the more massive cravings and, and just waited for it to pass and avoid and avoid the uh, you know the gas stations that I used to buy from and avoid places and people and that, that would spark cravings. But yeah, that's it, the cravings were, were, were pretty, yeah the first three days was was crazy man. It was a little bit of the DTs and stuff, but I just uh, I think I just uh, I had more 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 will to quit and I you know I I just wanted to feel feel that anxiety and, and started to let myself feel the feelings and I think that's where I was able to help the cravings also. Yeah, you feel know. the feels and embrace it. It's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And there we have reached the rapid mm-hmm. fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. All right. Aaron, number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Waking up in a Virginia jail cross country and couldn't bond out because uh, they thought I'd be a flight risk because I was, wasn't from the area, you know. It took me like four or five days to get out of jail, man, and that was just, that was rough, man. I was cold and they didn't have enough uh, blankets and, and bed beddings and stuff, so I was sleeping on concrete and stuff and just a culture shock, you know, being around in all different areas. That's probably my worst memory. Yeah, that sucks. Number two, Aaron, we've all heard the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking? Probably at a time when I was in San Diego, man, and, and you know, hit, hit that shuttle van and ended up in jail in, in another state. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, this happened again. It was like deja vu. So yeah, that's probably my really big oh shit man moment because that was, that was my first actual DUI and that was like horrible, man. I was like, man. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And Aaron, yeah. you've got 16 days of sobriety under your belt. What's your plan to get day 17, 18, 19, 20, month one, two, three, four? I think I'm going to hit the podcast circuit, man, make my way. No, I don't really know. <laughs> that. No, no, I no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just uh, create a program where that, I, that will work for me. You know, every I'm gonna start off every morning. You know, with with quotes. I have these quotes that I that I love that I printed and they're right on my bed. Every time I every morning when I wake up and have my cup of coffee, I I read those quotes and then I I, I put on my podcast. I I take my dog for the walk in the morning, so so that that keeps me grounded because I you know put me in a routine all day. I just listen to podcasts, different stuff, positive stuff. I like some of the other self-help podcasts, like the you know the Ziggler one. He's got a lot of good, good stuff. And uh, and uh, I do want to get to to a meeting sometime. I, I did go to an NA meeting back back then, but I was still using. So, but now I think I would like to go. And now that now that I got a little bit more clarity in my head, and, and actually talk to some people. And and uh, and music also has been been a part of my uh, my my recovery. I've been listening to a lot of music and keeping keeping active that way, keeping walking and just a variety of things. I think just doing something out there and, and, and the more I connect with people, I think the more, the more easier it's going to be. And I really like that. There's all these, these um, resources now on the, on the internet. And, I, and I'm, and I've been talking with people on, on the uh, 
Cafe RE and, and the share and the NA, I have a thing on the NA, Narcotics Anonymous also. So I've been kind of checking in with every morning with those guys and the, on, the, on the internet. There's an audio book that I liked. There's one, it's called uh, Powerless No Longer by Peter Soderman. It's kind of a, a little bit more secular approach to stuff. And, you know, I just, you know, and there's other, there's other stuff. Um, going to want to get back into the exercise you know i don't know about the gym i think i i think i want to take the approach of where i just might want to just go out and do some more uh exercise that's a little bit more fun more activities you know get back into the fishing because i used to go fishing a lot and so i want to teach my son how to get really get into that he's about that age where he could start doing that so Wow, you've got enough recovery tools there to keep you busy for a long time to come but you, you nailed them it was great yeah and what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are already doing it? Stop the beating up part. You know, I think people just do that and they think that they're not worth it, you know, and, and they are worth it. You know, um, you know, there's a, a good good thing I seen the other day. It says, uh, you know, if you still got one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, then you're pissing on the day. So don't try to think ahead too far and don't think about what you did in the past. Just, you know, what, what you damaged in the past, just to start with today it's a disease and it lies to you you know so you gotta just stop listening to it and just just go one day at a time you know and before we depart give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic if line you might be an alcoholic if you get pulled over in your work car going the wrong direction on a one-way road you know didn't know until you read the police report the next day that's an alcoholic yeah that would qualify that's the truth that's, <laughs> that's very and that's a true true story there. that's a true one uh aaron thank you so much for joining us today congrats on 16 days of sobriety man it's huge keep moving forward thanks for joining us thank you paul I want to say congratulations to Ginger, who attended the Recovery Elevator Retreat for just hitting one year of sobriety. Ginger, you are the wind beneath my wings, and you look damn good in a fanny pack. Nice job, Ginger. And everybody, remember the retreat in Peru, the Recovery Elevator Machu Picchu Inca Trail Retreat. Registration opens November 10th. That's about 11 days away. It's going to be a trip of a lifetime. Okay, Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 